But today, we're, we're going to start a brand new series here at Big Valley Grace uh, called Life. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Okay, this is what the, the devil and the demons want to do. This is what false prophets want to do or false uh, shepherds, uh, teachers. This is what they want to do. They just want to mess up your life because they don't really care about your life. But Jesus said this, Jesus said, my purpose is to give them, you, me, a rich and satisfying life. One version says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the, to the full, right? Beloved, I, I believe Jesus is, is um, talking about eternal life here. In other words, the reason Jesus came and died, his purpose of coming and dying on the cross was to save us from the penalty of our sin, which is death. Physical death, but way more importantly, spiritual death. And when you give your life to Jesus, he gives you life. He gives you eternal life. Jesus said this in John chapter 3. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, an abundant life, a rich and satisfying life. Beloved, someday, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, when, when you get to heaven, you're going to experience life like you've never experienced it down here on planet Earth. But I also believe that, that Jesus was saying here in John chapter 10 that when you follow him, when you make him your shepherd, you can experience life at a whole different level right now. In other words, you, you don't have to die to experience this life that Jesus came to give you. You can experience it now. You see, I believe that the life that God has planned for you right now isn't a, a boring life. It's not a mundane life. It's not a meaningless life or whatever word you want to put on it. It's not a life where we just, I don't know, sit around and twiddle our thumbs, you know, and just kind of wait until Jesus comes again, or we just die, you know, and then, then, then maybe we get to experience this life. The life that God has planned for you right now is a life full of purpose. It's a life full of significance and meaning. It's a life that's rich and satisfying. It's the greatest life you could ever live. It's anything but mundane or, or boring or meaningless or, or whatever. Helen Keller once said, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. And the life that God has planned for you right now is the greatest adventure ever. It really is. But here's the bummer. Too many people, Christians, never experience this abundant life. Too many of you right now, you're here, and your life is boring. You, you, you have kind of a mundane life. It, it, it's meaningless to, to a certain degree. This idea that Jesus came to give you a rich and satisfying life, it hasn't translated 
And I know that's true for, for, for many of you. In fact, a lot of people die before they die. They die on the inside. And then they just kind of go about their life in, a, in, in sort of an existence. They're just here. Some of you, bless your souls, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you die, you're going to go and spend your eternity with the Lord. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. But you're dead on the inside. You're, you, you have no purpose in life, no meaning. You just kind of wake up and you, you go to work and do your thing. And then you come home and eat some dinner and you watch, you know, reruns of MASH. And then you, you go to bed and you wake up and you do it all over again. And That isn't what God has planned for you. God has a life that's unbelievable planned for you. I um, was thinking about this, this whole idea of life, life. God wants you to have a rich and satisfying life, but why is it that so many people, some of you, feel dead inside? Why? How does this happen, or, or why does this happen? Why do some people die before they, they die? Well, this is what we're going to talk about uh, here tonight. We're, we're going to talk about the things that mess up the life that Jesus wants you to experience right now down here on planet Earth. I, I, I'm going to call them life robbers. These are the things that suck the passion out of life. These are the things that rob you of the enthusiasm that God wants you to have for life. Now, if you'll zero in on what I'm going to say for some of you, tonight's going to be life-changing. Guarantee it. For some of you. If you'll really kind of just lock in, forget about what's happening at home, forget about what's happening, you know, in your business or your job, forget about, you know, your classes you have to go to on Monday, just put all that aside for a moment. And if you'd really kind of zone in here, you could leave here a different person. You could leave here going, whoa, okay, now I understand what's been robbing me of this life that Jesus wants me to, to, to have. So what are the things that rob us of this life? Well, life robber number one is this, is not knowing God's will robs you of life. Not knowing God's will God's purpose for your life, that'll rob you of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter one, it says this. This is Solomon talking. He says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, right? Just people die. People live and then they die. But the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets. 
then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then it turns north. Round and round it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows again to the sea. Everything is wearisome, beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. Boy, this guy's thrilled with life, isn't he? This guy, this guy's the, the life of the party, isn't he? Wah, 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 wah. Ever been around someone like that? Oh, my. You just go, I think, I think I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> you know, it's really, you know. Why, why is Solomon here? Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. That's not true. What's going on here? Beloved, that phrase, under the sun, and he uses that phrase throughout the, the book of Ecclesiastes, simply means down here on earth or apart from God. You see, Solomon had somehow lost track of God's will or God's purpose for his life. He got his eyes off of, off of the Lord, and when your mind isn't on God's will or God's purposes, it only goes to one place. When your mind isn't on God's will, God's purposes, it only has one place to go, and that is on worldly things, things that are down here under the sun, things that are apart from God. And when your mind is on worldly things, it's easy to think that everything is meaningless. When your mind's just down here, you know, and you're just reading the paper and you're watching the news and you're seeing all that's going on, it'll rob you of the life that God came to give you. Listen, when you don't know what God's will is for your life or what God's purpose for your life is, or you do know it and you choose not to follow it, I guarantee you that your life will drift towards apathy. Life will become somewhat mundane. Oh, you, you got a house. You may have two houses. Could have three houses. Could have lots of cars. Could have all kinds of stuff. But when your mind is down here, it's not on God's will, God's purposes, wow, you'll just begin to kind of just drift towards apathy. It robs you of the life that God wants to give you. And in my opinion, that's exactly what happens here to Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Someone once said, a person who knows God's will for their life gets out of bed in the morning and says, good morning, Lord. Rather than, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> and this side of glory, you know, I don't care how much you love the Lord or how well you know God's will for your life. We all get up at moments and go, good Lord, it's morning. You know, not another day, right? Beloved, nothing can compensate for not knowing God's will for your life. Not cash in the bank, not some fancy title at work, not having you know, the right spouse or the right job, not living in the right neighborhood, not coming to church on the weekends, not being in a small group, not sex, nothing. When you don't know why you're here, it robs you of the life that Jesus came to give you. It goofs up your life. And I know there are lots of you, you come to church. You sing the songs. 
But you know what? <laughs> you sang the song, I'm free, I'm free. You sang the songs, but re in reality, you're still in bondage. You're just lost. Coming to church isn't the answer. That's a good thing. Giving an offering is not the answer. It's a good thing. It's God's will. It's God's purpose. Knowing it, doing it. Whoa. That's where you find enthusiasm for life, passion for life. And when you don't know it, you just kind of can get caught in a, I don't know, like that hamster. And you're just going and going and going and going and going and you just feel like you're not getting anywhere. You show me a person that doesn't have a, a clear purpose for their life and I'll show you a person that's just dying a slow death. And that's some of you. And I don't want that to happen because God doesn't want that to happen. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Greatest power source known to mankind lives in you, Christian. Man, when you don't know what your purpose is, man, you're just simply taking up space down here on planet Earth. And that's what it feels like. So what is your purpose? What is God's will for your life? Well, to answer that question would obviously take a, a whole lot more time than I have right now. Over the, the series, you're going to hear lots of things that God says to us that gives our life meaning and, and purpose and all of that. But let me give you a quick thought, okay? In Matthew chapter 22, an expert in religious law came to Jesus and asked him this question. It's a pretty famous verse. Teacher, Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses, you know, of, of, of the Ten Commandments, you know? What, what is it? And Jesus replied, you must lo love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Equally important. It's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets all that's taught in the Old Testament, in other words, are based on these two commandments. Wow. Jesus just kind of boiled down a whole lot of pages into just a couple of verses. Beloved, this is God's will for your life. This is your greatest purpose in life. First and foremost, God wants you to love him above all else. The first of the Ten Commandments was, you must not have any other God but me. Number two was, don't have an idol. Don't make for yourself an idol. Don't, don't misuse the name of God. Hey, hey, have a good rhythm to your life. Make sure one day is set aside for me. You see, the first four commandments were all about God. We're all about our relationship to God. And here Jesus boils it down to one verse, and he says it's your greatest purpose to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. That is your greatest purpose in life. But he also said that 
The second greatest thing you could do with your life is that you would care about others. That you would love other people the way you love yourself. And that's not a narcissistic love. Ooh, look at me. <laughs> I'm schwelt, you know? <laughs> no. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, hey, listen, you love yourself to the degree that you met your own needs. You were hungry tonight, and so you had food. You had a need, and you loved yourself to the point you fed yourself some food. And God says, do that. You have to do that. You need to do that. But don't stop there. Make sure that you do something to help other people. Love them too that way. Hey, you put clothes on your back today, you know, and, and God says you need to do that. That's an important thing to do. But don't stop there. Love other people, meet their need in that area too. Which is why we as a church are so engaged in feeding people who don't have any food and helping people get clothes and all those kinds of things. Why? Because it's our purpose. It's what God's called us to do. The greatest thing, the greatest purpose is to love him. And let me tell you how I'll know you love him is by your love for people. Easy to say you love God. How do I know? <laughs> I love God, Pastor. Okay. You doing anything for anybody else? Well, you know, I'm busy. Don't, don't tell me you love him then. Because when you truly love him, it's going to equate to something down here, you see. Now, there's a whole lot more, obviously, that God wants for his people. Like I said, we're going to talk about those things in the week to come. But I did want to give you a couple thoughts here in terms of what is God's will for your life? What is God's purpose for your life? You're going to walk out of here with two thoughts. The greatest purpose I have is to love God. To love him. And then to love, love others. And when you're not clear on, you know, what your purposes are or what your purpose is, man, you'll never experience a life that Jesus came to give you, okay? Or if you are clear on it and you choose to blow it off. Hey, God's number two in my life. Eh! Not good enough. There used to be a, a bumper sticker out there that says, God is my co-pilot. That was a bumper sticker that was made by, by the devil himself. God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He doesn't do the co-pilot thing very well. He wants to be the pilot. It sounds spiritual. God's my co-pilot. Very spiritual. Not biblical, but it sounds spiritual. He doesn't want to be the co-pilot of your life. He wants to be the pilot, number one. And that's the greatest purpose that's his will for you and then make sure you love other people and take care of other people be concerned about about other people uh, life robber number two not having a balanced balanced schedule will rob you of life once again let me take us back to our friend solomon in ecclesiastes ecclesiastes chapter three he says this it's this really beautiful he says there is a time for everything and everything on earth has a special season. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to 
pull up the plants. There's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time to destroy. There's a time to build. There's a time to cry. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to be sad. There's a time to dance. There's a time to throw stones away. And there's a time to gather them up. There's a time to hug. And there's a time not to hug. There's a time to look for something and, 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 a, and a time to stop looking for it. There's a time to keep things and there's a time to throw things away. There's a time to tear apart and there's a time to sow. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to speak. There's a time for love and there's a time for hate. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Beloved, there's a, a beautiful rhythm to life, in other words. There's a time and a place and a procedure for every matter under the sun. There's a, a balance to life, if you will. There's a time and a purpose for everything. There's a time to, to work. There's a time to rest. There's a time to strive and you know, go for it. And there's a time to just have some fun. But when life gets out of balance, it messes, messes everything up. Everything. Listen, if your life basically revolves around work, you know, you wake up in the morning, then you spend 10, 12 hours every day at work, and you do this, you know, seven days a week, number one, you're not in God's will because God wants you to rest. Number two, you're gonna burn yourself out because nobody can keep that pace forever. Vince Lombardi said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. I think that's true. Number three, your families are, are getting ripped off because they never get to see you or you basically just give them the crumbs of your life. And number four, you're never gonna experience this rich and satisfying life that Jesus came to give you because everything's just kinda out of whack, see. Psalms 127 says, it is, useful, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. Look, God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, God's not saying that we shouldn't work or that work is evil or whatever because the Bible tells us that God worked. So it can't be evil. What God's saying here is that true peace and true rest comes not from working yourself to death or whatever, but true peace and true contentment comes from simply putting your trust in God. You see, God's quite capable of taking care of you. But you get nervous. Oh, no. And so you start working and working and working. I got to cut one more. I got one more thing, one more deal, one more stuff, you know, five more hours. Because you really don't believe. You're not really trusting that God can handle it. I mean, some of you are so important. You're so important. You, you know, you're the head of your business. You, you can't leave your business because you're just too important. And so guess what? You're down there all the time working and working and working because if you're not there, oh, yeah, I know God has the sun come up in the morning. He's got the earth spinning on its axis and all that. But hey, he's never ran my business. I gotta be there, you know? And maybe, maybe your business would double or triple if you said, you know what, I'm just gonna close my doors. <laughs> well, obviously, Pastor, you don't know anything about business. You're right, I don't. But I know a lot about God. And maybe God's just waiting for you to say, you know what, why don't you trust me? 
Why don't you just trust me? I can bring a whole lot of business Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday if you just trust me. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek the, the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he, God, will give you everything you need. You believe that, Christian? Or is that just some, you know, Bible, you know, he had to fill up some space. So, you know, it's just a lot of words in here. Some of them are really cool, and I really believe them, but some of them, you know, come on, really? See, when you don't believe it, then you know what you do? You work, and 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 there's no rhythm. You're out of balance because you think you have to do it all. And God says, oh, no, 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 that's not how this works. You seek me first. You put me ahead of everything else. And by the way, we're going to talk a lot about this next week if God doesn't come back. And I'll take care of everything else. Now let me give you two quick reasons people will overwork themselves, which gets them all out of balance and messes them up. Number one, insecurity. Most high achievers in life are very insecure people. They're, they're, they're not comfortable in their own skin. And you know why? It's because they don't really accept themselves. So the thing that motivates them to overwork is their insecurity, their, their worries, their, their fears. One version of Psalms 127 says, it is senseless for you to work so hard from early in the morning until late at night, fearing you will starve to death. Fear is a powerful motivator. Now a few of us here are worried about starving to death, but there are other fears out there that drive people to overwork and become workaholics. The, the fear of not being important. <laughs> so you work and work and work and work and work. The, 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 the fear of failure. Oh man, I'm not gonna fail, man, so I'm just gonna work and work and work and work and work and work, right? The, the, the fear of being insignificant. And when you're driven by insecurities or whatever, you'll lose your, your passion for life. You'll never experience the life that Jesus came to give you. Now, the second thing that motivates people to overwork is materialism. Solomon said this, he, he said in Ecclesiastes chapter four, now I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. In other words, you, you see the stuff that others have and you want it also. We call this greed. Beloved, some people will do whatever it takes to get more stuff. They'll blow off their spouse. They'll blow off their kids. They'll blow off their friends. And they'll even blow off God. Just so they can get more stuff. So they work and work and work and they never go home and they show up someday and they go, who are you? I'm your son. How old are you? Man, the, the materialism, having stuff. Man, powerful. Just unbelievably powerful. What it'll, what it'll do to a life. Someone once said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. 
And, and I, sometimes that, that, that's true, isn't it? Some of you need to look at your schedule and make some hard choices. The reason why you're dead, though Jesus has made you alive, is because your schedule's just all goofed up. It's out of balance. There's no, there's no rhythm to, to, to your life. I, I was in Starbucks tonight. Tonight. I go up, get my coffee, and there's this big sign. I took a picture of it. I want you to see it. I saw this tonight. Find your fall rhythm. And then they say, you know, in the fall they got your pumpkin lattes. And Starbucks wants you to find your coffee rhythm. <laughs> They're spending tens of millions of dollars putting that poster up in all their Starbucks because they want to make sure that they're included in your rhythm. And it'll work. And here's God who says, I've got a rhythm for your life. Forget about coffee. Bizarre, isn't it? How the world will dictate our rhythms. And God says, I have a rhythm. And when that gets out of balance, when that gets out of whack, wow, it'll rob you of the life, the joy that Jesus came to give us, give you. Life robber number three. Not being in relationship with others robs you of life. Right out of the gate in Genesis chapter two, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for Adam to be alone. And at this moment in history, Sin hadn't entered the world. Adam had the most perfect relationship with God that anybody's ever experienced. And God looks down and says it's not good for him to be alone. As good as it is for him to be in relationship with me and we've got this great thing going on, it's not good that he is not in relationship with somebody like him. All the animals, you know, he, he, he names all the animals, and they all had, you know, there were guy animals and girl animals and guy lizards and girl lizards and guy, you know, uh, parakeets and girl parakeets, and all of a sudden he starts to realize, well, there's only one of me. And God says, it's not good, so I'm going to make you a helper. Now, obviously, uh, the, the, the context here is, is, is marriage, and he's going to bring a wife into the picture, but the principle is true. If you're not in relationship with other people, I want you to know it's going to rob you of the life that God wants you to have. Solomon said this in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He says, two are better than one. Two are better than one. And those of you that are lone rangers out there, God says that two are better than one. And I know some of you think, wow, man, you don't know me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm as good as two guys. I'm as good as three guys. Me, myself, and I. There's actually three of me when I think about it. You know, I'm, I'm a fantastic guy. No, you're not. You're not that fantastic. <laughs> you, you need other people in your life. That's why small groups are such an important thing to us here. That's why we talk about it all the time. That's why I talk about it. I bet this message doesn't go by where I'm not talking about 
small groups. When our women get together, we just don't throw them in a big room like this and say, here you go. No, we want to get them in small groups. Our men, we want them in small groups. You come to celebrate recovery, we're going to get you into small, we're going to continue to work really hard to get you in relationships with people. Nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with looking at the back of everybody's neck for an hour and a half. But wow, if this is all you do, you'll never experience the life that God came to to, to give you. Never. Let me me give you a real great practical illustration. If you fall down, it's, it's really good to have somebody help you, isn't it? I went and saw my father Tuesday. My dad's really old and he can, doesn't walk, can hardly walk. So I went over to his house, it was right over here. And while we were in his garage, he fell down. If I wasn't there, wow. I don't know how long he would have laid there on the cement floor. But I was there. Two are better than one because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and there's no one to help him. You see, life throws at us stuff. And we may not physically fall down like my dad did, but life happens and man, it is really cool when you got somebody else who's around you to give you some wisdom, to cheer you up, to get you back on the right course, whatever all that stuff is, you see. I've known a lot of people over the years who wanted to live a life that honored God. I mean, I could see it in their eyes, yet they couldn't pull it off. Why? They stopped being around God's people. They stopped coming to church. They stopped hanging around other people who had a passion for Jesus. They never got into a small group. Yes, their walk with God started off great, but then they slowly started doing life alone, and and that's not good. It's like having a bunch of you know, logs in a fire, you take one of them out, it'll burn for a moment, you stick it over here, it'll burn for a moment. This is all going real big, but that eventually just dies out. Can't keep burning all by itself. But here's the beautiful thing, you can just pick that thing back up, stick it back in there, boom, it's, it's, it's going again. That doesn't take much. If you're not going to do life with other people, just... You know, you're not going to lose your salvation. But there's something powerful that happens when you're in life, you know, you're doing life with, with, with other people. Howard Hendricks said, a man who is not in a small group with other men is an accident waiting to happen. Now, that's not the Bible. It's not the inerrant word of God, but it's a pretty good quote, I think. Probably a lot of truth in that quote. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Hard to pull that off if you're not in a, in a smaller group, right? So you gotta make the choice to do life with others. Some of you right now, I believe the Holy Spirit's probably nudging you a little bit, saying, you know what, we need to get into a small group. I need to go to women's and get into a ga- group of gals or men's ministries, lots of ways to, to, to accomplish that. Life robber number four. 
not having uh, peace in your relationships robs you of life. And these two kind of go hand in hand. Romans chapter 12 says, if it is possible, and sometimes it's not, but if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. One version says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Beloved, let me tell you why this is so important. It's important because when you're in conflict with somebody else, it literally sucks the life out of you or the passion out of you. When there's unresolved conflict in your life, it robs you of the life that Jesus came to give you. And let me give you an illustration that most of you could probably relate to. Ever had one of those mornings, you know, you, you wake up and you go, whoa, this is a great day, man. You get up, man, put on your clothes, you brush your teeth, and man, you grab your coffee. And it's going to be a great day. And you're pumped and you're psyched and heading out the door. And right as you're heading out the door, you and your spouse get into it. You know, and then you walk out and get in your car and drive away. Whole day. Total downer, isn't it? There, there, there's something about conflict uh, when you're in relationship with somebody that, man, if it is unresolved, it, it just robs you of life. Can't think about anything else, you know, man, you know, and finally you just got to pick up the phone and call and so, oh, man, honey, I'm just really sorry. I was a jerk, and please forgive me. And they say, oh, I'm sorry. And then, wow, whoo! Unbelievable. Hell, you know, 10 seconds, you were in a downer. 10 seconds, whoo, you're in an upper again. You see, when you're in relationship with others, and God wants you to be, there's going to be conflict. You know why? Because you're a sinner. and the person you're in relationship with. They're a sinner. You can be in a room all by yourself, just one sinner all by themselves, and you can be in conflict with yourself, can't you? <laughs> Having a big argument, just you. Can't sleep at night because you got this big argument with yourself. It's unbelievable. Forget about having somebody else. Now you put two people in a room and sometimes you're gonna have problems. It's going to happen. Happen with your spouse. It'll happen with your kids. It'll happen with your parents. It'll happen with your grandpa. It'll happen with people you work with. It'll happen with people you go to school with. It happens. You, you, you can't help it. But what you can do is you can work hard, and it does take some hard work to make sure that everything's okay. That, that, that somehow you, there, there's peace in the relationships that you have. Job said in uh, Job chapter 5, surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Job said resentment or envy or jealousy are, are some of the great passion killers in life. Resentment is basically when you allow somebody to continue to hurt you over something that happened a long time ago. They may be out of the, the picture. They might even be dead, but you're still allowing them to hurt you over something that they did. Job went on to say this in chapter 18. He says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. Will the earth be destroyed because you're angry? Will God move mountains to satisfy you? You're only hurting yourself. Now, sometimes you can't be at peace with some people. I, I have some 
folks that, you know, I've tried and they don't, you know, okay. And then I knew. I move on with my life. But I tried. I tried. Most of the time, probably 99.9% .9 of the time, when you reach out, you can resolve the conflict. It's very few times when people won't, you know, whatever. And then, then you just leave that in God's hands. You just trust that the Lord's doing something in, 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 in their life. Uh, life robber number five. Not examining your life robs you of life. Lamentations 3 says, let us test and examine our ways. And then after we've done that, then the no-brainer is, and then, well, then let us turn back to the Lord. In other words, probably if you really examine your life, you know, what you're doing, all those kinds of things, how you're living, probably there's a good chance that you got off the, the narrow road, so to speak, as godly and holy as you might be. Socrates said, an unexamined life is not worthy living. It's not worth living. It's not. Beloved, it's a good practice to regularly stop all the stuff of life and ask yourself, how am I doing? Am I really fulfilling, you know, God's will? Am I loving him and is, with everything I got? Is he number one in my life? Is my schedule, you know, a little crazy right now? Am I out of balance? Did I get out of whack? Am I in relationship with others? Is there somebody I'm not at peace with? You got to stop and examine your life. We all need to take a pit stop every so often. At the Indianapolis 500, the drivers take their cars around the track at over 200 miles an hour. 200, but about three or four or five times, they bring those cars to a complete stop. It must be important. A lot is happening at that moment. Maybe brief, obviously, but there's a lot going on. They've been talking, they're changing tires, they're changing the flaps, they're, they're evaluating how this car is running. There are people engaged in that. The guy doesn't hop out and go, hey, I'm doing this on my own. I don't need anybody. I got it. No, 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 no. No, no, you need a team around you. You need a team around you, you see. You need people around you. And then they put the car back down, and there it goes. And, and that's kind of what we all need to do. We, 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 nothing wrong with going 200 miles an hour in life. Do it. Work. Nothing wrong with that. It's a privilege to work. It's an honor to work. God worked, so to speak. But then, stop. Take a pit stop. And during that pit stop, do some examination. How am I doing? How are things going? I was with a, 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 a couple who, it was, Scott married them. 
I think it was probably your first marriage. I was with him last night, and he tells me like four times a year, this couple comes in for a pit stop, so to speak, and meets with Pastor Scott and sits down with him. And, you know, Scott checks under the hood. Hey, how you doing? Oh, things great. You know, things great. Well, how are things going? Well, you know, you know, and all of a sudden, guess what? You, 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 can, you can examine your, your life. It's a good thing. That's why they have such a great marriage. Two important things happen when you stop and you, you take a, a pit stop. God can replenish your soul. God can pinpoint areas in your life that need to be dealt with. And we all need that. All of us. Otherwise, things are going to creep in and we're never going to experience the, 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 the life that God wants us to have. Life robber number six. Not feeding your soul robs you of life. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, yes, God says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, for some of you, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus actually quotes this verse in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus says, people do not live by bread alone. Yes, you know, we got to eat, you know, pancakes in the morning. Yes, we have to have a, a burger at lunch. Yes, we have to eat pizza at night. We have to eat physical food. These bodies here have to take in physical food. But Jesus said, look, Christian, you don't live by just pizzas alone or hamburgers alone or whatever. If you want to experience the life that I've come to give you, you got to nourish your soul. And you can't do that with a T-bone or a ribeye. You can only do that through my word. That's it. That's why, you know, the daily meditation page, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, all that we do is pointing you to the Word of God. Some of the songs we sing are actually, you know, just words right from, from Scripture. Let me ask you, what would you call a person who only ate once a week? A supermodel. No, that's not what you'd call them. You, you, you'd call them starving is what you'd call them. And for some of you, this is it. This is the only time you eat. You can't live like that. It's binge eating. Yeah, this is a good thing. Come and enjoy the, the meal through the music and through communion and through the proclamation of us. Enjoy the meal. It's a good meal. It's good for their soul. But this can't be it. If you want to experience this rich and satisfying life, this abundant life, you've got to spend more than just one you know, meal a, a week. That, make, that makes sense, doesn't it? Now, why is it so important that you feed your soul? Because every day of your life, there are circumstances that conspire against you to shrink your spirit and shrivel your soul. Every day you face distractions and disappointments. Every day you face problems and pressures. Every day you face conflicts and confusion. Every day you face frustrations and fatigue and, 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 and failures. So how do you counter all these circumstances? 
You have to feed your your soul with God's word. This is the bread that Jesus talked about. Everybody can spend five, ten minutes in the word of God reading just five, ten verses a day. You don't have to read a lot. Some of you can read more than that, but it's not like you got to sit down and, you know, for an hour just just read. You know, no, you don't have to do that. The daily meditation page for some of you, just start with this. It's simple. Get you in the word of God. Some good questions on there. You've got to evaluate your life a little bit, do a little examination kind of thing. Start there. Life robber number seven. Not applying God's word robs you of life. James, our brother, said, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. Beloved, if all you do is feed your soul with God's word and you never apply it, you never actually do what it says, listen to me, you'll never experience the life that Jesus came to give you. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is this, is they confuse knowing and doing Lots of Christians know lots of stuff. They can rattle off all the great doctrines of the Bible. They rattle off all the books of the Bible in order, you know. But they're miserable people. Just because you know a bunch of stuff, don't confuse that with being somebody who does something with the knowledge that you have. Listening to truth takes no effort. What you're doing here right now really takes no effort. You blew an hour and a half of your life. It didn't take any effort to come in here and listen to truth. Listening to truth is easy. Ah, there's some value to it, but this is easy. Listening to Jesus preach a sermon was easy. Listening to the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount is easy. Listening to truth is easy. It's doing what, it, what the Word says. That's takes some effort. And that's what begins to change your life in radical ways. When you don't apply what you know, I don't know, the Bible says that all knowledge does is puff up. And I'm not saying people are just puffed up. Maybe they are. I know people can tell you all kinds of stuff about God's word, and yet they've never helped a soul in their life. They've never given an offering. They, they don't, but they know a lot of stuff. Lots of stuff. You see, the hard part is making the decision to say, I'm going to apply the truth I've, I've learned. So let me ask you a question. Here we go. I'm going to end it right now. Are you going to apply what I talked about? Are you going to make an effort to know God's will for your life? Yeah. See, it was easy to hear me talk about it. And I know for some of you, the, the Holy Spirit did what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. You, you kidney punch it. Ooh. But you can get up and walk out of here and do nothing about it. Some of you will. Are you going to make an effort to balance your schedule? I mean, really, are you, you going to make an effort? You, you see, talking about it's one thing, isn't it? 
Doing it's a whole other thing. Are you going to make an effort to be in relationship with, with others? Obviously, God says it's not good for you to be alone. Two are better than one, right? Three is even better. Are you going to make an effort to resolve any conflict you have with others? Are you going to do that? Some of you are here and you know you got conflict with the person sitting right next to you, right? You got in the car tonight and you, you came here. Thank the Lord. You're here. But it was silent all the way here. You know, chirp, 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 chirp. You got in here and you sat down and you went, oh, please, someone start the music. Chirp, chirp, chirp. And the music started. You could get up and leave and not say a word. You could do that. Some of you will. Or you go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I have to do to resolve some conflict. Are you going to make an, an effort to examine your life? Just doing this, some of you are going, oh man, oh man. Are you going to make an effort to feed your soul? A greater effort? Are you going to make a uh, an effort to actually do what the Bible says? So you really don't know something until you do it. I, 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 I don't know whether that's truth or not, but I sure like the quote. When you do it, wow, then you know it. When you do it. Jesus said that my purpose is to give them you a rich and satisfying life. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior someday, you take your last breath here, wow, life like you've never experienced is going to happen. But you don't have to wait until you die to experience an incredible life, a life full of passion and, and meaning and purpose. It can start right now. Like just kind of looking at these seven things, and by the way, this isn't a comprehensive list, just seven things I, I, I picked. John Byron was a great help to me. I wrestled around with some of the words and how do I word all of this. But these are seven things that I think if you really looked at and you really said, you know what, hmm, who knows how your life might be different? Who knows? Why don't you stand? And let me pray for you. And while your eyes are closed, just remember the altar is always a place where the spiritual leaders are here to listen, to pray for you. Maybe one of these points, you would just go in and say, hey, help me. <laughs> help me. I'm afraid to get in a small group with people. I'm just afraid. I don't think people will like me. I don't know what to do. Let us pray for you. We all, all I've been there. Maybe you just... Know that there's something in your life you need to deal with. You've examined your life and you know what it is. Let us pray with you. Let us give you some wisdom. That's what the altar room is for. Why don't you close your eyes and Pastor Scott, would you, would you pray for us?